Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, you've heard it before, but Merry Christmas to all of you. I mean, wouldn't you uh, agree that Christmas is a wonderful time of the year? My sense is that most people are friendlier during the Christmas season. You know, even people who look like their passport picture most of the time, you know, they, they just seem to lighten up uh, this time of the year. Um, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, but I really think they should allow us to smile on our passport pictures. I, I really do. I, I mean, let's face it, you know, we, we look like mean hoodlums uh, when, you, when you look at our passport pictures. No wonder getting through security at the airport takes so long. I mean, if I was a security guard looking at my passport picture, you know, I'd lock me up. I mean, I look like trouble when you look at my passport picture. Anyways, it's good to laugh. The Bible reminds us that a cheerful heart is good like medicine. Comedian Fred Allen once said, you know, it's bad to suppress your laughter because when you do, it goes back down and spreads your hips. <laughs> so laugh hard and laugh often, my friend. Now, to help you with that, I thought I'd uh, share just a little bit of lighthearted wisdom about why we are the way that we are from the perspective of those of us who are granddads. And it goes like this. On the first day, God created the dog. God said, sit all day by the door of your house and bark at anybody that goes by. I'm going to give you a lifespan of 20 years. And the dog said, 20 years? Man, that's just too long to be barking. You know, give me 10 years, I'll give you 10 back. And God said, and God agreed. On the second day, God created the monkey. And God said, entertain people and do monkey tricks and make them laugh. I'll give you a lifespan of 20 years too. The monkey said, oh man, doing monkey tricks for 20 years is going to be a bit tough. How about I give you back 10 years the way the dog did? And God agreed. On the third day, God created the cow. God said, you must go out in the field with the farmer all day long, suffer under the sun, have calves, and give milk to support the farmer. And I'm going to give you a lifespan of 60 years. The cow said, man, it's a rather tough life to live for 60 years. Let me have 20 years. I'll give you back 40. And God agreed. Finally, God created man. God said, eat, sleep, play, have fun, enjoy your life. I'll give you 20 years. The man said, only 20 years? That just doesn't seem long enough. How about I take the 20 years you're giving me Add the 40 years the cow gave you back, the 10 years the monkey gave you back, and the 10 the dog gave you back. That'd make 80. And God agreed. And so, folks, and here's the wise part. So that is why, for the first 20 years of our lives, we eat, sleep, play, and have a good time. <laughs> for the next 40 years, we slave in the sun in support of our family. For the next 10 years, we do monkey tricks to entertain our grandchildren. In the last 10 years, we sit on the front porch and bark at everybody that walks by. <laughs> you just had life explained to you, my friend. <laughs> All right, we're going to join together in prayer. And you know, speaking of prayer, 
Birth is always a miracle, and uh, we have a son, Jonathan, and a daughter, Kristen, who are at the hospital as we speak, having their first child. And so we appreciate your prayers. Would you join me in praying? Our Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the Christmas season, not just for the joy and the laughter, as wonderful as that is, but also for the reason for this season the birth of your son, Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would help us now to grow in our understanding of of who Jesus is in a whole new way and what the implications of all that has for our lives. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, imagine what it would be like to have dozens of people arrive at your home to celebrate your birthday and they kind of show up and they eat your food and they drink your eggnog and they exchange gifts with one another and totally ignore you the entire evening. As ludicrous as that may sound, that is exactly what many Canadians do at Christmas. They party hard, they exchange gifts with one another and they totally ignore the one whose birthday it is. In fact, many don't even know whose birthday it is. Some even don't care to know. And in some cases, if you try to tell them, they get rather upset. Well, for the record, the central figure of the Christian faith, but also of the Christmas season, is Jesus Christ. And he desperately wants to meet you and for you to know him. In the Gospel of Matthew... Jesus asked a question that every person must grapple with and answer at some point in life. He asked, what do you believe about the Christ? Whose son is he? We asked that question of some folks on the streets of our city. Let's listen to what they had to say. Do you believe that there was a historical Jesus, a man who walked on the earth? Yes. Yeah? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it's kind of hard for us to imagine him in, in this world, but I, I think, yeah, he did walk the world. I've kind of heard both sides of the tale. I've heard some people say, you know what, he didn't actually exist, but I believe that whether he existed or not, the story is pretty compelling. I, I do believe that Jesus walked the earth. Yeah, there probably was. Um, and maybe some of the stories were exaggerated about it. What about Jesus? Was he a, a real person? Uh, uh, yeah, actually, if you, if you look at it, um, there's more proof that Jesus existed than Julius Caesar. So, yeah. Yeah. Was he God? I believe so. I'm not sure how, but I think so, yeah. No. No? I suppose so, yeah. Yeah. No more than you or I. No. Uh, I'm sure they were all very religious at the time, so I'm sure if this guy was doing well, then they just thought he was the son of God. The son of God, yeah. So part of it, yeah. Oh, okay. I don't think so. I don't think God would be represented by a human. I don't think God has kids. I don't think he's the kid of anyone. So, um, yeah, I think it's... uh, No, Jesus was was a prophet, so, yeah. So as you can see, the people of our city have 
a wide range of opinions about who Jesus is. And of course, we can't decide who Jesus is simply by taking a vote. Nor can we define him on the basis of what the majority believe about him. So who is this Jesus? What do Christians believe about him and why do they believe it? Well, to begin with, Christians believe that Jesus is real. Jesus is not some legendary person that someone dreamed up years ago. No, there's historical evidence that Jesus walked the face of this earth 2,000 years ago. Historian J. Gilchrist Lawson says, The idea that Christ never existed is not held by anyone worthy of the name scholar. The historical evidences of Christ's existence are so much greater than those in support of any other event in ancient history. No candid scholar could reject them without also renouncing his belief in every event recorded in ancient history. So why do we believe that Christ existed? Is it simply because the Bible tells us so? Well, that is one very good reason. We have four biographies of Jesus in the scriptures that give accurate and detailed information about the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Now, I don't have time to go into um, this subject deeper as to the evidence surrounding all that, but in other messages in this series, you're going to be introduced to compelling evidence for believing in the reliability and accuracy of the Bible. Now, as important as the biblical evidence is, you should know that a number of secular and Jewish historians have also written about Jesus Christ, including the ancient historian Tacitus. Cornelius Tacitus was one of the most reliable secular historians of the first century. And in 64 AD, he reported on the great fire of Rome which the people at the time blamed on their emperor, Nero, who in turn promptly blamed it on the Christians. Now, Tacitus didn't refer to Christians in his writings because he liked them. The truth is, he had no use for Christians. In fact, he referred to them at one point in his writings as a disease. The reason he referred to them is because they existed. In addition, Tacitus did us a great favor when he went on to explain who the Christians were, because in doing so, he made reference to Christ. This is what he wrote. Christus, the founder of the name, had undergone the death penalty in the reign of Tiberius by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate. Well, thank you very much, Tacitus. Another well-respected ancient historian was Josephus. Josephus was born in A.D. 37, and he wrote most of his works near the end of the first century. In the Antiquities, Josephus describes how a high priest named Ananias, whom we read about in the scriptures, took advantage of the Roman governor, Festus, whom we also read about in the scriptures, in order to have James the brother of Jesus, killed. Here is what he says. He convened a meeting, referring to Ananias, he convened a meeting of the Sanhedrin, 
and brought before them a man named James, the brother of Jesus, who was called Christ, and certain others. Josephus also wrote this, About this time there lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Christ. When Pilate had condemned him to be crucified, those who had in the first place come to love him did not give up their affection for him. On the third day he appeared to them restored to life, for the prophets of God had prophesied these and countless other marvelous things about him. And the tribe of Christians, so called after him, has still to this day not disappeared. So you see, the Bible is not the only place that talks about Jesus. These are just two of a number of ancient historians who specifically make reference to Jesus Christ and to the Christians of that day. The truth is, there's overpowering evidence apart from the scriptures that Jesus was no myth, as some would believe today, but was a real historical figure who truly lived. Christians believe Jesus is real. Furthermore, Christians believe that Jesus is God. Most people accept that Jesus existed, and many acknowledge that he was a good teacher. Some believe that he was a great man, but just a man. Most cannot accept the idea that Jesus is more than a man, that he is God. But here's the thing. It is utterly inconsistent to call Jesus a good man, a model of morality, to call him a prophet, and then go on to say, but I don't believe that he is God. And here's why. Because this good, moral, loving teacher claimed in no uncertain terms that he is the Son of God. Let me explain it through an illustration I once heard someone use a number of years ago. I want you to think of someone that you highly respect. Someone that you look up to, someone who has, is emotionally healthy, has integrity, solid character. Now, if it's okay with you, could we name that person, whoever you're thinking about, could we name that person Joe? Now, how would you respond if one day Joe asked to meet you for lunch and near the end of your time together turned to you and said something like this, you know, I've been keeping this secret from you far too long. But you need to know that I'm not just an ordinary man. The truth is, I'm God. Now, how would your, what would your response be the moment that you hear that? I mean, again, remember, this is a person that you respect. Now, I'm guessing that some of you would just burst out laughing, thinking it's a joke. Others of you would conclude that someone's been spiking this person's eggnog. Still, others of you would wonder if he recently joined a weird cult. But let's say that Joe held to that position. Let's say that months later, a year later, he continues to claim that he's more than a man and, and that he and God are one. You see, what would happen is you would have to make a decision about him. You couldn't just ignore this. You would have to either conclude that he's lying through his teeth or that he's losing his mind, 
or that he's actually telling the truth. And folks, this is precisely the point that I'm making about Jesus of Nazareth. Because in no uncertain terms, Jesus publicly and privately and persistently through the course of his ministry on earth claimed to be God. Whereas other religious leaders pointed people away from themselves and said, you know, this is the truth as I perceive it. Or from my understanding, this is the way to God. Or this is the way to eternal life. Jesus pointed people to himself and he said things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Whereas other religious leaders said, follow this path and you will find fulfillment. Jesus said, follow me and you will know true fulfillment. He was the only significant religious leader to say such things. To those who are disillusioned, trying to make sense of this life and to find direction and purpose in this life. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. To those overcome with fear of death or who are agonizing over the death of a loved one, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. To those burdened by worry and guilt, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, can you imagine your friend Joe, or any other human being for that matter, making statements like this on a regular basis? Well, neither could many of Jesus' friends. In fact, in John chapter 6, we read that after hearing Jesus make these kind of claims about himself, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They withdrew from him because they knew he was claiming to be God and they couldn't and they wouldn't buy it. But it was unmistakable what it was that Jesus was claiming. In the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, we find Jesus on trial before the elite Jewish council called the Sanhedrin. It's near the end of his earthly life. They've arrested him, put him on trial. The only real charge they have against him is this claim that he is God. And so the high priest comes right out walks up to Jesus and asks him in verse 61, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? And Jesus said, I am. He said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. And the passage goes on to say that in response to what Jesus said, the high priest tore his clothes and said, why do we need any more witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. And they condemned him as worthy of death. Why? Because he claimed to be God. 
On another occasion, Jesus said to a crowd, I and the Father are one. And the Bible says the Jews who heard him say that picked up stones to kill him for blasphemy. And when Jesus said, hold a moment, before you throw those stones, do you mind telling me why you're wanting to do this? They responded saying, because you, being a mere man, claim to be God. In Matthew 16, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now I want you to notice that Jesus had plenty of opportunity here to rebuke Peter, to say, Peter, once again, you've put both feet in your mouth. He had plenty of time to correct Peter, to set him straight, but he didn't. In fact, you read on, he commended Peter because Peter's answer was right. You see, Jesus claimed to be God and his disciples who knew him best and could have easily discredited him after seeing him follow, after seeing him following his resurrection, they were so convinced that he was God that they were willing to die for him. So I trust you're seeing the implications of this. If you believe that Jesus is a good man or a great teacher or a prophet as we heard on the video earlier, but you do not believe that he is God, then you have a major problem on your hands because Jesus consistently claimed to be God. And if he lied about this, then he isn't a good or a great person. Which leads us to ask, so was Jesus lying? Is it conceivable that a teacher of such incredible truth and wisdom could concoct a lie like this and consistently live it out without any inconsistency surfacing? Perhaps even more significantly, is it possible that an um, intentional deceiver would actually suffer the cruelest form of execution and die for a lie? You know, if I knew that I was lying and because of my lies was hauled into a court of law like Jesus was, condemned to death, spit upon, beat up, flogged to a pulp just to kind of limber me up for a long torturous death on a cross... If I knew I was intentionally lying, I'd come clean long before the cross. People will die for a cause that they believe in, even if that cause is totally off base. But it's inconceivable to me and most other rational people that someone would die for something that they know is a lie. No, when you consider the teachings of Christ, the, his servant heart, his, the way he loved people, the consistency with which he lived, the, the, the deep character he portrayed, it just doesn't add up. He couldn't have been a liar. So was Jesus a lunatic? Was he dis delusional? 
I mean, let's face it, there are many people in the world, some in psychiatric wards, who think that they're Elvis Presley, or who think that they're the Prime Minister, or, or God. Just because someone claims to be someone or something doesn't mean that they necessarily are so. So what about Jesus? Was he deluded? Or is there evidence for his claims? Well, yes, there is. Let me quickly give you a few of those evidences. First of all, Christians believe that Jesus is God because he fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies concerning the Messiah. The Bible contains over 300 references to the Messiah that were fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Of those 300, there are only 17 that Jesus could have orchestrated himself, like his virgin birth, into which family he was born, his place of birth, Bethlehem, that he would be betrayed by a friend, he'd be sold for 30 pieces of silver, that he'd be mocked, and that he would be crucified, which, by the way, itself is a remarkable prophecy because crucifixion was a Roman invention. It wasn't even in use hundreds of years previous when this prophecy was made. But see, that's just a few, uh, a sampling of the prophecies that came true in the life of Jesus. And these are prophecies, the ones I quickly mentioned, that the ones he couldn't have orchestrated. Peter Stoner in Science Speaks, he says the odds of 48, just 48 of the over 300 prophecies coming true in one person is 1 in 10 to the 147th power. Now for those of you who are never very good in math the way I was, I'm going to interpret that for you. That is a very, 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 very big number. Very big. Big. Which is another way of saying it is impossible for these prophecies to have come true in one man by chance. No question, Jesus clearly is the one who fulfilled these prophecies. And secondly, we believe Jesus is God because he rose from the dead, he's alive. In Matthew 16, verse 21, Jesus predicted that he would suffer and be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Well, it happened as Jesus said. He died on the cross. They buried him. On the third day, his followers went to the tomb and they found it empty. Now again, exploring all the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is beyond the scope of this message but I assure you there are very compelling, very powerful evidences for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So much so that I'm going to devote an entire message to this particular subject. You know, writer and atheist Richard Dawkins has said, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not true, Christianity becomes null and void. And he's right. Christianity hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. The Apostle Paul pretty much said that in 1 Corinthians 15 when he said, if the resurrection never happened, then our preaching and our faith is useless. But, says Paul in verse 20, Christ has indeed 
been raised from the dead. Right on. And that changes everything. If Jesus is alive, then the teaching and the miracles and the promises in the Bible are true. And of course, Jesus is who he said he is, the very Son of God. And then thirdly, we believe that Jesus is God because he lived a sinless life. In John 8, 46, in front of all of his detractors, Jesus said, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Now, surely his disciples who were in a position to see any sin that may have emerged in his life would have called him on it. You know, if I claimed to be sinless, to be without sin, a line of people would form very quickly in front of my office. My wife would be at the front of that line, (laughs) followed by the rest of our family and then our staff and many of you. All of you would have this long list of my failures and sins, I'm sure. And yet Jesus' disciples who knew him best more than once affirmed that Jesus was without sin. In fact, the apostle Peter had this to say about Jesus. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. Fourthly, we believe Jesus is God because he performed miracles that only God could do. He stilled the raging storms. He raised the dead made the lame to walk, the dumb to speak, and the blind to see. And anyone who does any form of this today is doing it only because of the power of Jesus within them. Fifthly, we believe Jesus is God because of his profound teaching. His teaching has served, if you think about it, as a foundation for Western civilization. Many of our fundamental laws are based upon uh, his teaching and He is widely acknowledged to be the greatest teaching teacher ever, having given the greatest teaching ever given by man. Just prior to his death, agnostic Charles Templeton, who wrote the book Farewell to God, he was interviewed by Lee Strobel. Lee asked him to talk about what he thought about Jesus. And Templeton got very serious and said, Jesus was the greatest human being who ever lived. He was a moral genius. His ethical sense was unique. He was the intrinsically wisest person that I've ever encountered in my life or in my readings. Renowned psychiatrist J.T. Fisher writes this, if you were to take the sum total of all authoritative articles ever written by the most qualified psychologists and psychiatrists on the subject of mental hygiene, and you were to combine them and refine them and cleave out the excess verbiage, and if you were to have these unadulterated bits of pure scientific knowledge expressed by the most capable poets, you would have an awkward and incomplete summation of Christ's Sermon on the Mount. It would suffer... It would suffer immeasurably through comparison. For nearly 2,000 years, the Christian world has been holding in its hands the complete answer to society's restless and fruitful yearnings. Here rests the blueprint for successful human life. And so what is he saying? He's saying, does a blueprint for successful human life of unequaled wisdom and value come from the lips of a lunatic? Of course not. 
It just cannot be that Jesus was a liar or a lunatic. And if you've been following along, you know that leaves only one other option. And that is that Jesus' claims are true. He said he was the Son of God because he is the Son of God. He couldn't deny it, even though he knew that his claims would cost him his very life. He is not a liar. He is not a lunatic. He is Lord. And friends, because he is Lord, he can be trusted. Because he is Lord, we can trust and build our lives on his teachings, his promises, his principles and commands that we see in the scriptures. Even if nothing in life is making any sense, we can know he is in control, that he has our best interests at heart in all things, and that he is working in us and through us, whether we realize it or not. I'm going to close with a true story about a man whose life has been dramatically changed because Jesus is alive and at work today. Don Barlett is a Native American who was born in North, America, North Dakota. And he was born with his nose pushed all the way over to one side, missing a large portion of his top lip and a hole in the roof of his mouth. His father couldn't deal with his handicap, rejected him early on, and began to drink heavily. When he went to school, the children would laugh at him, spit at him, call him cruel names, and beat him up. At home, he often faced the physical abuse, abuse of a drunken father, who at times would grab him by the hair and beat him mercilessly with a belt. His mother loved him, sought to care for him, but she was unable to protect him or to help him with his disability. Don says, I would never have survived had it not been for a certain white woman. This woman's heart had been transformed by Jesus. And when she heard about his situation, she decided to invest her life in him. He says she walked into our home and she put her hand on mine. That became the moment of incredible change in my world. A person touching me, not hurting me, not rejecting me, with her hand on mine telling me in a gentle voice, I want to help you, Don. I care about you. She brought him into her home and began to care for him as a son. He says she put her hand in my mouth and taught me how to move my tongue, how to hold a fork, how to put food between my teeth. At age 12, she taught me how to chew my food, how to read and how to write. She taught me how to take a shower, how to groom my hair, how to work and earn money so that I could buy my own clothing. She taught me how to make air flow through my lips, which helped me to make sounds. Week after week, month after month, year after year, she helped me. She arranged for him to go to a hospital where they gave him a new nose, a, a new upper lip, teeth and a round steel plate in the top of his mouth. She also arranged for him to be in a six-year program where he learned to speak. Today, 
Don is a Christ follower and a leading motivational speaker, blessing thousands of people all over the U.S. with his story of hope in Jesus Christ. Here was a young man who in his formative years had only known profanity, isolation, anger, alcoholism, rejection from almost everyone, and a lot of abuse. And even though he struggled for many years dealing with all of the anger and pain that was raging inside of him, he ultimately came to know and to experience the love of Jesus and was totally transformed from the inside out because he saw and experienced the love, grace, and the life-changing power of Jesus through the life of a woman who was fully devoted to Jesus. A woman who herself was transformed years earlier by the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Friends, Jesus is alive and he's changing lives today. That is why I share that story with you because it illustrates yet another reason why I believe in Jesus and that is he's changing lives today. That is why Jesus came. From the moment that Jesus came to planet earth as a little baby, he has been changing lives. And through those lives, he's been changing the world. It was through people whose lives were changed by Jesus that child sacrifice, slavery, and cannibalism were finally stopped. It was through people whose hearts were changed by Jesus that orphanages and inner city agencies and shelters and world relief agencies, the formation of schools and colleges and universities and hospitals were established. You check it out sometime. And even today, it is through people whose lives have been transformed by Jesus that the hungry are fed, that the naked are clothed, that the sick are made well, those in bondage are set free, and the hopeless, like Don, are given true hope. I stand before you as one who can attest to the fact that I'd rather have Jesus than anything. I believe to the core of my being that he is the hope of the world. He has freed me from crucifying myself over the regrets of the past. He's given me the power to love and to live with joy and deep satisfaction in the present. And despite a life-threatening illness, he's given me a settled peace that I am not alone that he is with me in this life and will be with me in the next life. And what he's done for me and what he's done for millions of other people, he will do for you and wants to do for you. He wants to change your heart and then impact the lives of others through you. But friend, it's going to require that you make a decision about Jesus. You make up your mind about Jesus. C.S. Lewis, the brilliant professor at Cambridge University, was once a great skeptic of Jesus Christ and the Christian faith. 
But after thoroughly examining the evidence, he made a decision to embrace Christ as his Savior and Lord. And among his many wonderful writings, one of the things that he wrote was this. He said, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. So what do you believe about Jesus? How you answer that question has huge implications for you, not only in this life, but also the next. And here's why. John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. In John 11.25, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies in this life. Think about what Jesus is saying here. He's claiming to be the key to living a full and satisfying life here on earth. He's also claiming to be the key to living forever with God in the next life. Now, if Jesus' claims here are false, well, then you have nothing to lose. However, if they are true, and you don't take Jesus seriously, you have everything to lose. The stakes are high. And that is why I challenge you not to put off examining the claims of Jesus Christ because to not make a decision is to, in fact, have made a decision. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment? In a moment, I'm going to close with a prayer not unlike the one I prayed years ago when I became a follower of Jesus, a prayer that changed the entire trajectory of my life and my eternity. It wasn't the magic of the words that I used that accomplished that. It was the direction of my heart that did. My heart turned around and began to follow Jesus. And that's what that prayer was really all about. At this point in your life, you may not be ready to pray this prayer. Perhaps you still have questions that you need answers for. My word to you is this. If you're sensing something in you 
to put your trust in Jesus, even though you don't have all of the answers, I believe to the core of my being that God's Spirit is speaking to you right now. And He's reaching out to you. And even though there may be all kinds of questions that you still have, I want to challenge you to put aside any pride, to put aside any intellectual arrogance right now, and just take a small step of faith. Reach out to Him. Ask Him to reveal Himself to you, to make Himself known, to show you the truth about Himself, and commit yourself to pursuing Him with all that you've got until you know the Jesus that I've come to know. Because I assure you, once you know Him, you'll never leave Him. There may be others here who know that this is your time of decision, who know that this is your time to get off the fence of indecision or the fence of mediocrity or indifference, the fence of playing it safe, and to give your life over to Jesus completely. He came to earth to make it possible. And so I'm going to invite you to pray a simple prayer along with me. He knows your thoughts. Pray this prayer in your heart. Make it your own. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to earth to show us who you are and what you're like, how much you love us and how much you want to be in relationship with us. Lord Jesus, I still have questions, but I can't ignore what I've heard today and the stirring that I'm feeling inside of me right now. Thank you for not only being real and alive today, but for the assurance that you are God. Because only God's capable of forgiving sins and dealing with the mess in my life. And so, Lord Jesus, I confess to you that I'm a sinner today. I need your forgiveness. I repent of my sins right now and ask that you would cleanse me from all unrighteousness as you said you would if I asked. I now invite you into my life. I ask that you would live your life of love, joy, peace through me from this moment on. I surrender my life to you. I commit myself to seeking you and to following you with all of my heart from this day forward. For I pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer and if it truly reflects a change in your heart, you've just made the most important decision that you'll ever make in life. You've just made the best decision you'll ever make in your life. The Bible says that you're a new creation. That's how God the Father sees you right now. The old is gone. The new has come. You are God's child. And I want to challenge you to live all out for Jesus. It is just the absolute best way to live. Before you leave, I'd like you, if you would, to reach into, just in the pew back in front of you, just pull out this little red communication card. And we would just love it if you, if you would just uh, give us your name and contact information. We're not going to bother you. We just want to be available to you. And if there's something you'd like to communicate to us, if you'd like us to call you, if, if you would like to have more information, 
you'd like to have more discussion about all of this, just let us know. If you made a spiritual decision, um, please check the box that best describes the decision that you made today. If you have a prayer request and you'd like our prayer teams to pray about those things, we have prayer teams that meet through the week. Please record it in the space provided. And again, include your name, your phone number, and then on your way out, you'll see baskets. Just place this little red information uh, card in that red basket. And I just want to remind you that starting January 5th, right up to Easter Sunday of next year, in most of our weekend services, not all, but most, I'm going to continue speaking on, the why, on, on why Christians believe what they believe. If you are not sure what you believe and why, or if you'd like to know more about what it is Christians actually believe, we would love for you to join us for this series. On behalf of everyone here at Center Street, we do wish you a Merry Christmas and God's very best for you this coming year. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God be with you. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.